a text for tomorrow for today. I almost said tomorrow. <laughs> it is for tomorrow, and the tomorrow's after that too. But our text is First Corinthians chapter twelve, beginning at verse four and going through verse seven, and then I've added verses eighteen through twenty. The the verses in the middle are relative, but not pertinent to our message this morning. And so I didn't include them because I give you already nine pages. And so I didn't want to add to that with other texts. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And then picking up in verse 18, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased Him. And if they were all one member, were with the body. But now are there many members, yet but one body. In our previous study before our Mother's Day special, I raised the question, are you a part of a hand or part of a leg or part of an eye or part of an ear or perhaps just a hangnail? Now the insertion of that last phrase, or perhaps just a hangnail in the body of Christ, was more than just a failed attempt at humor. And I noticed the failure of it. But the Bible describes church-age believers as members of the body of Christ. And as we saw in our study, the body is made up of various parts or various members. And each member has specific functions. And our position or role in the body of Christ the church is determined by the particular spiritual gifts that were given by the Holy Spirit to us at the point of our salvation. And experience has shown that the body does frequently contain a few hangnails. A hangnail is a small torn piece of skin next to your nail. Now, although it would be logical to think that the word's describing a problem with the nail itself, and I've got problem with a few of those, that uh, the word actually refers to a skin condition, and you perhaps have had that small piece of skin next to the nail to come loose and stand up and, and be a nuisance. A hangnail then is part of the body that becomes partially disconnected from the body and it's not functioning as it should and actually becomes more of an annoyance to the body than a healthy functioning appendage of the body. But nevertheless, it's part of the body and it does need to be nurtured so that it too becomes supportive of the body. Now, see, we got this small group on Sunday morning, so we don't have to worry about 
uh, one of us being a hangnail uh, in that. Well, as part of the analogy related to the church as the body of Christ, I said I could probably hold an, an extensive series of sermons on hangnails in the body of Christ. I could wax long and sorrowfully about the hangnails that I have encountered during my earthly ministry uh, of now oh, 69 years or so as a pastor. I've been lied to. I've been lied about. My cars have had brake fluid poured into the automatic transmissions of them, two in one Sunday. And uh, belts have been cut. Hoses have been cut. Fuel lines have been damaged. Screws have been screwed into tires week after week after week. And uh, windows have been broken out. My car has been set on fire. I've been slammed against a wall, knocked down, straddled, and pummeled with fists. Just a few of the hangnails that I encountered in my pastoral ministries. Hangnails have disrupted services. They've threatened congregations. Uh, uh, I've had to disarm hangnails in order to protect another member of the body of Christ. Parts of the body that have been partially disconnected from the body and are not functioning in the body as they should and are an annoyance rather than a help to the body. These are just some of the annoyances, some of the hangnails that I've encountered uh, and that's those within the congregation. That's not talking about the physical threats or the physical attacks or even being shot in the chest by those outside the body of Christ. But we're going to encounter hangnails uh, wherever we see Christians gathered together. But that's really not the concern that I have today. Because far more debilitating to the body of Christ are the members of the body that have not grown. Some have become injured. Those members of the body that have not matured. Some that have become paralyzed or developed neuropathy. Yeah, neuropathy, that numbness or insensitivity of parts of the body that's one of the most debilitating things that the body of Christ can experience. But rather than focus on the failures and the annoyances of hangnails, let's take this opportunity then to understand what our particular specialties are, what our function is to be and concentrate on ourselves rather than on others. In our previous study, we identified nine spiritual gifts that are operative throughout the church age. And those nine gifts reveal what we are to be doing as members of the body of Christ. We identified them as administration, teaching, service, exhortation, helps, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, mercy, and giving. 
These are the spiritual gifts that God has placed in the church. For the church to function in body life as we represent Christ here upon the earth. You have at least one of those nine that I identified and probably a combination of several of those nine. And they were given to you by the sovereign act of the Holy Spirit at the moment of your salvation. And they dictate to us what our place is in the body of Christ and what our walk should be, really what we should be doing while we are awaiting the rapture of the church. In the introduction to this doctrinal truth, our, in our previous study, we identified and related them to those gifts, and with them, I had some characteristics and, and uh, tendencies checklists for you to go down through. I told you as you read through the study that it would be helpful if you took a highlight pen and, high, and used that highlighter on the various things that relate to you and that you can identify personally. Well, in that study, I I won't take a show of hands this morning, it'd probably be too depressing, uh, about how many of you actually did that and went through that process. But if you haven't done that, I challenge you to do that, because while we're going to be focusing on that concept this morning, uh, next week, I want to move to another level where we're going to uh, identify and help you identify what we are to be doing each individual and then collectively together as we await the rapture of the church. But this morning I'd like to have you look with me at how these spiritual gifts line up with the characteristics and the tendencies that we identified before. Now, I would like to point out that many of the characteristics that we're going to be reviewing could apply to a number of different spiritual gifts, but you will find a pattern that will help you identify what your particular spiritual gift is. Now, I realize that I'm at an advantage in that when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, almost immediately there was a knowing that I was supposed to be a preacher. Uh, Not a calling. I didn't have an angelic visitation. If I did, I missed it and didn't recognize it. But there was just a knowing And so from that point on, from nine years on, there has not been any hesitation that that was my objective. And so it's it's an unfair disadvantage that some of us have to have that knowing uh, and to be able to lay out that course of life. It hasn't followed any uh, pattern of any other preacher or pastor that I've known, we each have our individual uh, design and along with that, the provisions that God has given. But it's never too late to discover what your situation is and what your ministry should be day by day. 
So we're going to uh, look at the characteristics first that are associated and identified with the spiritual gifting that God has given us. And I grouped them into nine groups. Now, you probably follow the math and recognize, well, if there's nine groups, then they relate to the nine different spiritual gifts that are identified in Scripture. And um, and that's true, but I wanted to identify the characteristics before we identified the gift, because when you look at the gift, you say, oh, no, I couldn't do that. <laughs> so as we look at the characteristics and the tendencies, and then we're going to look at the interest and desires that you have, we will see a pattern come together. In the, What I would like for you to do is, as we go down through these, I would like for you to score yourself on a score of 0 to 10. Now, if your whole paper has zeros on it, you miss something <laughs> along the way. And if all of your paper has 10s on it, well, we'll talk about pride and that sort of thing <laughs> later. But this is for you to, to work with. And so there will be people that will score themselves anywhere from 7 to 10 on everything, or on the various things. They'll follow that. And there will be others from 0 to 3. Uh, doesn't make any difference. There will be a pattern if you're honest about what you really think about it. And as you see it, there will be a pattern there that you will be able to discover. And so we're, we're not going to collect them and look at them and uh, um, call you to account for what we see on it. This is personal as it should be. In the first group of characteristics, a score of 0 to 10... You mark yourself as an ability as a self-starter. An ability to see and understand needs that are related to organization. An ability to assume leadership. An ability to delegate responsibility. In the second group of characteristics, we have an ability to research. An ability to present truth in a systematic sequence. An ability to communicate effectively. In the third group, the characteristics, an ability to detect practical needs of others. An ability to serve in practical ways to provide for others. In the fourth group, an ability to motivate, an ability to encourage, an ability to inspire others. In the fifth group, an ability to follow leadership, an ability to perform skills necessary in the church, and an ability to perform skills necessary to other organizations. In the sixth group, the characteristics listed, an ability to comprehend what is read, an ability to separate various doctrinal truths revealed in the Word, an alertness to factual detail, an ability to classify Scripture into doctrinal subjects. Score yourself from zero to ten on the group, not just each individual, but on the group together. Now with... That provision, 
the seventh group is an ability to sense a person's circumstance or their situation. To sense it. An ability to understand the Bible in an applicational sense. An ability to communicate applicational principles clearly. The eighth group, an ability to sense joy or distress in others. Some people just have that natural sense about them. Me, I miss that a lot. That's why my helpmate says, you're not paying attention. <laughs> you see their need and, uh, and they're hurting. Uh, so score yourself in that area. The eighth group, an ability to sense joy then or distress in others and an ability to console or comfort. Now, you may have, to sen- have the ability to sense it, but not have any um, desire to be involved. That's beside itself. Just score yourself for that. And then the ninth group, an ability to acquire assets, an ability to multiply material assets an ability to understand financial needs. So go down through those. We read them. Your first impression is usually your most accurate. When you start trying to analyze it and dissect it and take it apart and do it under a microscope and all that, you mess up. But your first response to that is generally the most accurate as far as developing this identity. So those are characteristics that are related to spiritual gifts that are operative in the church throughout the church age. Let's look at some tendencies now. These tendencies, like the characteristics, are placed in the nine groups. And as you read through them, assign each group a number from zero to ten that most clearly identifies how you perceive yourself. With that, with zero being the least and ten being the highest. I know if I were to collect these from the students and the college, uh, there'd be some that would grade it up to a hundred instead of ten. But uh, it's yours to see and yours to review. Let's look at tendencies. The first group is a tendency to be assertive, a tendency to be aggressive, a tendency to lead out if there's no designated leader in the group. The second group is a tendency to go into detail when asked a simple question. You've run across some of us that if you ask a question, you're prepared to stay for a while because you've got to get the background where it started in Genesis and where it ends in Revelation. just go into detail when I ask a simple question. My students used to say, I, I've got a short question. And in 15 years, they never learned that it's not the length of the question, it's the length of the answer that takes the time. But a, a tendency to want to communicate everything learned. First time I had a paid church Secretary, I pastored churches that never had a paid church secretary. But when I went to Huntington Beach, I got a 
secretary paid by the church and uh, and that was great to have someone there in in the office nearby because as I was studying I discovered something I'd hit the button on my desk and ring the little buzzer out in front and and Gene would come in and I would say, look what I just discovered. The Greek says this. And I would go in and stand there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Pastor, I have work to do. <laughs> well, go back in there. I'll find somebody that cares. But we, we have tendencies. And those tendencies are part of our makeup. And our makeup is designed for our ministry and so we need to understand that as well. The third group is a tendency to be alert to the needs of others and a tendency to take responsibility for helping others. How do you score yourself with those two character or tendencies? The fourth is a tendency to speak out strongly on beliefs. A tendency to share ideas, a tendency to avoid avoid anything that doesn't seem to be practical, a tendency to push people to their potential. The fifth group is a tendency to accept only sideline responsibilities, a tendency to follow rather than lead, a tendency to assist others that are serving. The sixth group is a tendency to take clinic, a clinical approach to Bible study. I'm always asked, what do you mean by a clinical approach? Well, when you go into a clinic, what do you see? There is that, when we talk about a clinical approach, it's taking a, a knife and dissecting and analyzing uh, and approaching things from that direction. A tendency to take a clinical approach to Bible study. A tendency to identify categories of doctrine when you're reading the Word of God. A tendency to avoid non-biblical illustrations. A tendency to react sharply to error. A tendency to prove or test all teachings. If you need some help in that, I may be able to help you (laughs) with that. A tendency to emphasize the importance and the accuracy of words. The seventh group. A tendency to look for application as the Bible is read or taught. A tendency to identify certain people that you know when you read a Bible passage or you hear a Bible passage read their mind, their name comes to mind in relationship to that. A tendency to relate the word to everything that is experienced. The ninth group, or excuse me, the eighth group, is a tendency to have compassion on others. A tendency to experience the emotion others are experiencing a tendency to offer comfort and consolation. A lady called one day and said, Pastor, I need an appointment for some counseling. And I said, all right, we'll look at the calendar and see what we can can set up. And she said, oh, not with you. <laughs> with your wife. <laughs> you don't have compassion. <laughs> she does. So I don't want to talk to you about it. 
I won't talk to her. The night group, a tendency to look for the material needs in a situation. A tendency to assume personal responsibility for finance and assistance to others. A tendency to have confidence in meeting financial needs. So let me encourage you. Have I got that gift? Oh, let me encourage you that this week you go down through those. If you didn't do them in the service and I didn't see a lot of marking going on, uh, then I would encourage you to do that this week, especially in preparation uh, that for our study together next week. Now, we need to look not only at our characteristics and our tendencies, but we really need to look at our interests and our desires. We have a number of reluctant servants of God in the Bible. Probably one that comes to mind right away was Jonah. (laughs) God said, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh and warn them and I'm going to destroy uh, that city. But Jonah was reluctant and went in the opposite direction. I think about Gideon. When the Lord came to Gideon and said, Gideon, I want you to be my commander-in-chief and go out and destroy the Philistines. And... uh, Not me. I'm just threshing wheat here. Why do you want me to do that? No, I can't believe you're calling me. If if it's you calling me, then I want you to do this. Well, yeah, I know you did that, but that might have been a fluke. So, tonight I want you to do this. Yeah, I know that's the way it came out, but I'm not the one to do it. And a little reluctance on the part of God doing what God wanted him to do. Uh, Jeremiah is another one that comes to mind. Jeremiah said, I'm just a kid. I can't do that. And uh, God said, I'll open your mouth and I'll put the words in. You just be willing to go and to do. Our personal interest, however, and our desires are a big factor in what our spiritual gifting is. And so on a scale of 1 to 10, identify your area of interest or desire to participate in the nine categories that I've listed below. In the first group, a desire or interest as an administrator, as a manager, as a board member, Perhaps the chairman, oh, excuse me, the chairperson of a board or a committee or a project director. Score yourself from zero to ten. It says from one to ten. You've got to have some interest, I guess, uh, in that area. The second group, preaching, teaching, explaining, training, and demonstrating. What's your interest score there? 
In the third group, assisting others by providing food, shelter, clothing, services, transportation, materials, etc. The fourth group, preaching, singing, or playing instrument, evangelism, visitation, promotion. What's your interest there? The fifth group, committee work, performing skills, secretarial maintenance, media, publication, yard work, kitchen work, hospitality, working with your hands, uh, uh, whatever. The sixth group, writing, teaching, developing lesson material, organizing study materials. What's your score there? The seventh group, preaching, teaching, counseling, writing. The eighth group, visitation, comforting, consoling, encouraging, assisting. And the ninth group, raising funds, providing financial support to the church, providing financial support to parachurch, that means other organizations outside the church working alongside the church. Spheres of Grace is a period church organization. Providing financial assistance to individuals. Let me encourage you, you to go over those and score yourself <clears throat> in each of those areas of your interest as they are identified there. Then I would like for you to record your group characteristic score. I've given you a place on your study guide to record uh, your characteristic score in the first box next to the first group identified as administration. Put your characteristic score plus your tendency score plus your interest score and total those in the, in the box to the right of those. The gift of administration. Secondly is the gift of teaching. And so in your second, each one of those second groupings in characteristics and tendencies uh, uh, and interests relate to the gift of teaching. So transfer your scores there for that second group for characteristics, for tendencies, for interests, and total them in the one to the right. The fourth or the third group is the gift of service then, and we need to follow that same pattern. Group uh, three of characteristics, group three uh, as it relates to tendencies, and group three, four, three as it relates to interest and your total score. So the first grouping, as you look at your characteristics and your tendencies and your interests, the first group Identify and help identify, anyway, the gift of administration. The second group are associated primarily with the gift of teaching. The third group with the gift of service. We might call it the gift of ministry as well. The the word is deacon, uh, is the word there. I'm not asking you to be a deacon. Uh, The Bible speaks about a woman in uh, the early church of being a deaconess. Uh, that word 
diakonos simply identifies for us a service and ministry gift. There is an office of the diakonos in the church, the deacons, but that's not what we're looking at here. We're looking at the gift. And of course, a deacon shouldn't be a deacon unless he's got these characteristics and tendencies and interests as well. The fourth group is the gift of exhortation. That's gift of encouragement and and uh, motivation. Uh, and so those characteristics that were associated in those tendencies and those interests relate to that area. The gift of helps is is a behind the scenes type of service, although frequently done in public. But it's not in leadership; it's in assisting others and working. Uh, with them. Uh, one of my favorite stories in that area uh, relate to the uh, great concert pianist who was world, uh, not pianist, he was an organist, who was world renowned on the organ. And uh, he was playing uh, in a concert, and after his first number, the people began to applaud, and he stood and bowed. Uh, in thanks and went back and and started then on the second uh, number and following that the people were applauding and and uh, uh, clapping for him and he stood and and bowed and as he as he bowed he noticed the stagehand had come out from behind the curtains <clears throat> and uh, he was bowing too and he turned around and said. You get back in there and do your job. That stagehand was the one that pumped the bellows for the organ. So the organist sat down then to play the next number and he hit the keyboard and nothing came out. And he tried again and nothing came out. And then the stagehand came out and bowed to the audience and got a standing ovation. The people that work behind the scenes don't get the public praise and and the uh, attention that they deserve. But without them, those that are in more public areas of leadership and ministry would not be able to succeed. So it's no wonder that that's the most prolific gift within the body of Christ is the gift of helps. The sixth group is the word of knowledge. This is not the gift of knowledge. That gift was discontinued upon the completion of the Word of God. This is the word of knowledge. Knowledge based on the Word. That ability to understand and and uh, relate uh, to the application of uh, the Word and be able to structure it and put it into categories of doctrine. The seventh group is the gift of the word of wisdom. Wisdom, is, the gift of word of wisdom is understanding how the word relates to a person's circumstance or situation in life. Uh, if, if you are called upon to counsel people and you don't have this gift, you might want to pass them to someone else. Or maybe that's a good way of discovering whether you have this gift or not. But the 
ability to relate the Word of God to the circumstance and situations of life. The gift of mercy is the eighth group, and uh, that identifies the concept of being able to have compassion and then to put that compassion into operation as well. And then the gift of giving. This is not the normal priestly responsibility of giving that we all have. This is the special, unique ability to acquire funds and be able to channel them. I'm looking for some of those out in the community. <laughs> but God provides them and and the church is blessed by them for being able to do that. So go down through those, if you will, and um, check uh, the scores and see what you come up with. And um, I'll be standing by my phone this week to answer questions uh, relative to it. But in the analogy of the church as the body of Christ, there are two primary applications for ministry function. The first is correlation with other believers, and the second is our personal and individual ministries. We uniquely united in the body of Christ as born-again believers, as children of God, with other believers. Our lives are interwoven in God's plan to correlate with other believers as we represent Christ upon the earth in His absence. Collectively, we function as representatives of Christ in displaying His attitudes, His actions. We've looked in our study at the fact that we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent the person of a king, King Jesus in the court of another. We've identified that we are servants. We are administrators of His kingdom. We've identified that we are bond slaves, volunteer slaves to the cause of Christ. That we are husbandmen, that is, we are field workers. And we group those all together under the identification that we are in fact sojourners. That is, we are foreigners not living in our own country, but living alongside the locals in order for us to do God's business, do the King's business. Others are to see Christ in us and correlated with all other believers we carry out the purposes and the desires that God has for mankind. We're a corporate body. And our responsibility is to carry out God's agenda that includes even the hangnails, uh, the immature, the sick, the injured, the paralyzed, uh, the believers with neuropathy. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 27 says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. 1 Corinthians 12 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many or one body, so also is Christ. 
In Ephesians 4, 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. The word church used here in, in this emphasis is not a reference to a church building. It's not a reference even to just the local church. It's a reference to every born-again believer. At the moment of our personal faith in Christ, we become a member of the body of Christ, and at that time we are assigned a position in the body of Christ. We're not designed to function apart from others, but we are to correlate and interact with other believers in a local body that we call the local church. The local church is to be structured then to provide for that connection. Hebrews 10.25 Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. So the local church is gifted with leadership designed to coordinate teaching and function opportunities for the, bo- for the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and following, we are told this, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and by the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So the purpose and the plan for the giving of these positions that are identified in Ephesians, he gave some apostles, and prophets, and evangelists, and pastor-teachers. The purpose for those positions is for the perfecting of the saints. That's That word perfecting is a military word. It means equipping. That includes both the equipment to wear and the training to use it. That's the purpose of the church. So that the saints can do the work of the ministry. I've been in churches where they thought they hired me to do the work of the ministry. They were disappointed if I know that's not why I was there. I was there to teach them and train them so they could do the work of the ministry. So the saints can do the work of the ministry. and So the saints can edify, that means build up the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith. It's going to be a while. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of Man, unto a perfect, that is a mature man, unto the stature that corresponds to the fullness of Christ. That we be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. There's some fascinating language. makes me wonder where Paul spent his free time. Uh, the slight of men and cunning craftiness. He, he says, without doctrine, it's like shooting a game of craps 
with the devil and he's loaded the dice to deceive us. That's what life is without doctrine for the believer. And the idioms that are used there don't quite generate all that when we say the slight of men in cunning craftiness. But he's talking about Satan having organized a plot and loaded the dice. And now we're in the game if we don't have doctrine. Now the positions that we saw here of the apostles and the prophets, those two positions ceased with the completion of the book of Revelation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul stated that when he was writing that epistle, they only had part of the doctrine, that is knowledge, and they only had part of the prophecy. But he goes on to say that when we had all the doctrine and all the prophecy, those gifts would be abolished as the norm or standard. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. The book of Revelation then ends the revelation of prophecy as is clearly stated in Revelation 20.19. Can't add to or take away from that point on. So in addition to those, those two positions ceased. That was to have authority over all the churches and uh, receive revelation of doctrine and receive revelation of prophecy. But in addition to those two positions are identified uh, the uh, evangelist and the pastor teachers. Now, the, the New Testament uses terms like bishops and elders. Those relate to the leadership people in a local congregation, <clears throat> those that are pastor teachers. Now, the local church is designed to provide for the, the education, the equipping, the training of the believer and the individual assisting in the individual function to perform. The correlation aspect is important. We each have individual responsibilities for which we are to give an account unto God. And so... While we have a, operate as the body of Christ, we need to recognize our individual member of the body position and what we are to be about because it's that we're not going to give an account for the church when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to give an account of our service and our conformity to God's plan. Romans chapter 12 verses 4 and 5 says, for as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. And he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Every member of the body of Christ functions under initiation from the head and is accountable to the head. A passage of Scripture comes in mind that says, 
when you get when you're doing your alms, let your left hand not know what your right hand is doing. I pastored some of those churches that there lacked that correlation. But the instruction and the command comes from the head to each hand, and the other hand does not necessarily have any obligation or response in that. Each member of the body functions under the initiation of the head, and Christ, of course, is the head, and it's to Him that we are accountable for our stewardship. So this accountability, as we've seen in our previous study, is based upon the position that we hold in the body of Christ and the gifting or the gifts that we have that we might administer faithful stewardship as sojourners, as ambassadors, uh, as uh, field workers together with Him. So your assignment will be found in one of those nine gifts or perhaps a combination of those gifts. Uh, Frequently, uh, God combines the gifts in order to equip the individual for a particular place of service. Administration, teaching, ministry, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, helps, mercy, and giving. What gifts do you have? Now, how are you supposed to do them? Now, for a pastor-teacher, it's pretty mechanical what he's supposed to do with his gifting. The problem comes is where he's going to do that, how he's going to get into that situation. And God takes care of all that. Because the majority of Christians, the vast majority of Christians that are active in the body of Christ do not know what their spiritual gift is. But God works circumstances and situations in our life to put us into a place where we do that which comes natural as spirit-gifted individuals and function to serve Him. The signs of time ring out the message, Christ is coming soon. We could very well be the last generation of sojourners to alert people that they have an appointment with God. But should it be a million years, we are to live out our designed ministry each day as though it were the last day it could well be. So it's imperative that we know what our design is for each day. And though we get no detailed order of the day, I wish I could go to the calendar every morning and there was an order of the day from God. This is what is going on. But He causes circumstances and situations to develop and uses those that Satan also causes to develop to direct us to to guide us, to give us understanding. Christ would not leave us here on planet Earth with all that's going on if He had no further work for us. So the fact that you're here is proof that God has a work for you to do.
So go back to the study guide and be on alert for opportunities to serve God each day as it comes. In our study next time, we're going to help you recognize opportunities for service as you go through every day. And identify what you are to be doing as part of the body of Christ. So do your homework. Go through that. Be familiar with that. So that when we start talking about opportunities and needs for service, that you'll recognize that whatever your daily life involves and those that you are associated with, you are a representative of the body of Christ to them. Can't all be preachers, can't all be apostles, can't all be prophets, but we all have a role and a position in the body. You work on this end of it, I'll help you work next week on the other end of it as we identify how to fulfill them, our design. But of course, it begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This week, let us be reminded of the need that we might walk worthy in the Lord, looking for opportunities of application of His gifting and of the circumstances that we encounter. Let's pray. Our Father, we give You thanks for your word and its truth. We pray for understanding, a sense of clarity as to what our function is to be. And we pray, Father, that you'll alert us to the opportunities of service as they come. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you'll turn to hymn number 297.